Welcome to Persons of Interest, a podcast featuring interviews with interesting people doing interesting things, diving into careers, personal stories, life lessons, and more. Here's your host, Derek Dockett. Thank you for checking out this episode of Persons of Interest. I really appreciate you taking time to check out the podcast to learn more about the personal journeys of my guest. In this episode, I talk with Eric Weberg, who currently serves as the Director of Communications and Digital Media for the National Association of Basketball Coaches, also known as the NABC. We discuss Eric's role within the organization, his previous career stops in college athletics, and we also touch on some of the current topics within college basketball that have been making waves, things like the uh, ex- potential expansion of the NCAA tournament and also uh, the discussion among uh, amongst coaches about their current recruiting calendar. So uh, without further ado, here's Persons of Interest episode number 57 with Eric Weberg. The Persons of Interest podcast is back for another episode. As I always say, I try to branch out and talk about different things, but it always goes back to sports for me. That's old habits are, are hard to break. But in this one, a little bit different look and talk a little bit about the inside of how the game of basketball is shaped. And I'm, I'm happy to connect with a, an old Twitter friend of mine from the, the college athletics world. We both serve communications and marketing roles at the Division One level. Eric actually had more experience than I had because he came before he got to the CAA, which is now rebranded. The Colonials is now the Coastal Athletic Association. We can talk about that possibly too. But Eric now works for the NABC. And I'm hoping that we'll be able to talk a little bit about what the NABC is, what their role is, and how coaches play a role in in shaping the game, specifically college basketball. But also they serve membership down, high school basketball, things like that. So, Eric, thanks for hopping on the podcast, man. I really appreciate you taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm good, Derek. And thanks for reaching out and it's interesting we were talking before we hit record that I think we've Twitter known each other for <laughs> probably a decade or so I know, right this is the first time we've had a chance to connect at least screen to screen or microphone to microphone so happy to be on here and uh, share a little bit and happy to talk to you somebody who I've always learned a lot from and, and seeing what work you did back in college athletics and that you continue to do excited to talk oh I appreciate that like I said it's, it's been a while since we both stepped out of that space you're still in that sports world doing things as director of communications for the NABC. Uh, but before we jump into that, I'm curious, like I mentioned before, you got to the, before you got to the CAA, you actually had a previous stop in college athletics. Tell the folks, tell the listeners about your background, how you thought communications was uh, for you and, and, and how it's worked out uh, so far. Yeah, sure. So I, I'm from a small town right outside of the Kansas City area on the Missouri side. Went to college at the University of Kansas, so broke the unwritten rule of my small Missouri <laughs> town and crossed the state line into Kansas and worked as a freshman and then all four years worked in the media relations office there as a student assistant. I also, my, my I guess my first introduction to the space was really growing up around it. My dad was a 30 plus year college sports, college basketball, college football, sports issues reporter at USA Today. So I just grew up with that interest and 
saw him, read what he wrote, had conversations with him about what he was reporting on. He was one of kind of the first people that became somebody that reported on like NCA issues and things like that. So I felt like that was something that I, that I, that helped me get an interest and in knowledge early on in college athletics. And then just from him, I, I actually thought that I wanted to be a sports writer like he was, but eventually shifted into a little bit more of the business side of sports that led me into communication. So yeah, I had the four years in media relations at Kansas as a student, got my master's degree at Texas. I actually worked in development then. I didn't oh. know hundred percent yet that I just thought what a lot of young people did was I want to work in sports and that I want to be an athletic director or a commissioner. And you realize pretty quickly that nobody starts out as an athletic director or commissioner, right? So just naturally realized that my skill set, my interests, aligned with the external communications marketing now on the digital side. So it's not like I grew up wanting to be an SID from <laughs> 10 year old on, but it just was more so of a natural fit once I realized what I was good at and what I wasn't. And I realized very quickly working in as a student in fundraising that I would not have been a good person to go out and ask rich people for money. So <laughs> That's a that tough one, been, right? Yeah, that was another reason why to really hone in on the communications side of right. it. Yeah. Cool. And then, so, so, sorry. So I don't know if you yeah, want you're more background. So after grad school, I interned for a year and a half at the NCAA office in Indianapolis, worked with the division one men's basketball staff, primarily in media operations, worked with all the media coordination efforts for the prelim rounds and the final four worked at a small division two conference office was my first like legit full-time job worked there for three years then at the then the colonial now the coastal for a couple <laughs> years and and now at the nabc so that's that's how i got here been here just a little over seven years now wow that long it seems like yeah. time flies yeah. wow yeah. wow yeah, i guess i'm thinking about it now I've, I've been gone from the valley since 2017 2018 okay. so okay time flies right yeah. yeah so i guess before we jump into what you're currently doing i'm curious because we were both working in the conference office world at a time of real i hate to call it craziness but transition i guess maybe is the word i use was the way realignment is and continues to be the ca certainly had their share of it the Missouri Valley had their share of it when I was there. I'm curious, just this is my own curiosity. Yeah. What was it like when you were there? Um, I know for me, Creighton, Wichita State out, um, Loyola, Valparaiso in, and it was like exciting, but in also a way a little bit, you're like, wow, our two of our best teams and years of that conference, that consistent NCAA and Wichita State's case, they just became a juggernaut leaving the conference and wow what's going to happen what was the perspective from the CAA in terms of how conference realignment was managed back in those years yeah so i was at the CAA in an interesting kind of quiet time so okay. they had they'd had a lot of departures I guess it would have been like 2010 to 2010, 2011, 2012, those type of years where schools like VCU, George Mason, mm -hmm. Old Dominion, schools that were like 
marquee schools in the CAA had left. And so I was in that on staff there in the period where it was adjusting to life after those schools. Okay. Gotcha. Uh, and then after I left in 20, 2016, then a lot of kind of the next round of realignment started okay. and obviously Lucky you. Was, was hit with a lot of that. Yeah. But what I do remember though, is the CAA had two, men's basketball schools go to the final four in the 2000. They had George mm-hmm. Mason and what was that? Oh, seven. George Mason. Oh, six. It was, it was 06. Yeah. It yeah. Was 06. And then VCU in 2011. Yeah. And you being a conference office person knows that that's, that's not just prestige that there's a lot of money that comes in yep. because of the units that they get from those long runs. And, yep. and so the CAA had gotten accustomed to the, high levels of postseason basketball success. And then that started to level off a little bit. And and I know that was difficult for a whole number of reasons, both operationally and just prestige yeah. kind of brand wise that adjusting where you would, it was still a good basketball conference and it still is a good basketball conference, but it, it didn't have the final four elite eight caliber yeah. caliber schools at that time either. So that, that's what I remember most of again, not being directly impacted, but just living with kind of the adjustment from what had happened in the couple of years prior. Gotcha. There you are. You, you have spent some time to see and, and, from what I remember, you also serve more because they have a football side of their league as well. Yeah. Serve more in that role. I didn't touch football on the Missouri Valley yeah. Football Conference side, but using basketball knowledge, obviously, but then the role you played in terms of CA football, mm-hmm. being able to talk directly to coaches, being able to be in the room when they're talking operations, talking game situation, things like that on the field, off the field, all of it, just the state of the game. I'm curious now, fast forwarding to your role currently at the NABC, how that you you look back on it, how that may have prepared you into the role that you have now at the NABC? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the just the ability to interact with and communicate with people who are not necessarily your like direct peers on a campus. So interacting with people who aren't the media relations people or the digital folks on campus. And that's actually someone that I got a lot of experience with when I was at a division two, when I was at the the D2 conference, because while I was in communications digital there, we were a four person staff. We were operations, we were scheduling, we were everything there. So I think that was a... dealt with coaches there too. I I think that was just a, I don't know, a natural me getting hired at the NABC. I don't think it was necessarily, they didn't look at it. Oh, he's dealt operationally with coaches at these past jobs. But now that you bring it up, like there probably was a little bit of a comfort level with speaking that language to constituent groups outside of, again, the core communications, PR, digital that we work with. Um, Yeah. Because we, we obviously do that a lot now. I know we'll get into the NABC more, so I won't jump ahead. But yeah, there's we're a member association, so there's day-to-day interaction with our members who are coaches from all across the country. Yeah, no, let's talk about that now. So the NABC, for those that don't know, the National Association of Basketball Coaches, they have a unique role in the, in the sport of basketball. 
Um, yeah. I'll let you dive in more, but tell the folks at home what that is, because I think some folks may know you've got some events that yeah. have actual basketball games attached to them. That might be the most notable thing in Kansas City, especially the, the, the event there. But it goes beyond that there. It goes beyond just the actual game itself. It's creating some legislation that goes forward to the NCAA and things like that. Tell folks at home what the NABC does and your role to try and help advance the efforts of the organization. Yeah. So whenever anybody who doesn't know college athletics asks me what I do, I, the best way to describe the NABC is that we're a trade association. Just you and I, Derek, we work in communications and digital. I'm a member of College Sport Communicators, the trade association for that. I think you work with, what is it, the National School PR Association yep. or something yep. like that? Yep. 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 There's lawyer associations and dentist associations and nurse associations, and we just happen to be that for basketball coaches. So okay. we are we have 5,000, just over 5,000 members representing all levels of college, high school, youth basketball, primarily NCAA levels, but also a lot of NAIA, junior college, high schools, trying to branch into the grassroots space a little bit. And and I think our, our two primary functions are we're a professional development and an advocacy organization that support coaches. I think sometimes people think we're like a union, like the NBA or NFL coaches are part of a coaches union. We don't have like bargaining power or anything like that to work specifically on behalf of coaches. But yeah, so professional development, I think that's the the obvious side. We run a convention every year at the final four with on court, off court, leadership, training, all that kind of stuff. We do programming throughout the year, some webinars, some regional clinics, a mentor program, just the run of the mill. I don't say run of the mill, but that's typically what you expect out of a trade association, right? Is helping members improve their competencies in that profession. So that's the biggest thing I think that we do for directly for our members. But then what you got at a little bit was what we call the advocacy side of our work. Lobbying may be a little bit better way to do it. But so we essentially, we get feedback from the coaching community, whether it's the high levels of division one or division two, division three, NAIA and on issues impacting the game. So like right now, for example, the recruiting calendar in division one is a big topic (laughs) of discussion recruiting for people who don't know, there's all kinds of restrictions on when coaches can be on the road recruiting, when they can have kids visit campus, when they can attend events. And that space has changed significantly with changes to the transfer environment. And so anyway, so that's what we do is we get feedback from our coaches, from committees, from various stakeholders in the coaching community. And then we work to try to influence NCA legislation policies. Our executive director, Craig Robinson, sits on the NCA Men's Basketball Oversight Committee that is a fairly prominent, fairly prominent entity in college basketball. And, and we do that just on a whole host of issues. We, in, in my time here, we've done it on, there was a lot of advocacy work that we did when all the FBI investigations into mm-hmm. college basketball happened. We put gathered a lot of feedback, put together some committees, met with the Condoleezza Rice Commission to 
to give a coach's perspective into it. We've done it on issues like NBA draft deadlines and even like the net ranking analytics that help in Simmons basketball selection process. We've had a committee that tries to influence that. One of the big things that, that Craig Robinson, our executive director, he's been here a little more than three years now. His push has just, has been always, if I could count the number of times I've written seat at the table down, I, I, I would need a, I would run out of ink <laughs> in my pen because that's really been what he's tried to push for is, hey, just give coaches a seat at the table when important decisions are being made that impact college basketball. Again, whether it's transfers or name, image, and likeness or uh, recruiting calendar or anything like that, he that's something that he's really tried to do is push to the NCAA or the NAIA or the high school association that, hey, coaches have more day-to-day interaction with athletes than anybody else on campus, but a lot of times they don't, they're not invited to serve on committees or boards of directors or councils or things like that. And that's just the gap we bridge is we try to take feedback and collective input from the coaching community and pass that along and try to influence it for the good of the game to, to those in decision-making powers in college athletics. So that's a little bit of the inside, inside baseball or inside basketball work yeah. that we do that, that's not necessarily obvious to the outside world. So you bring up the recruiting calendar and it's because it's front of mind in my head. I saw a podcast that had three coaches. I know Dana Ford from Missouri State was one of them on there. I can't remember the other two. Uh, I think Louisville's coach, maybe. Um, But uh, I believe a coach that brought for had been working on the legislation with the calendar and Mm -hmm. not even from the standpoint of some of the restrictions, more from the standpoint of their personal lives and because of the way some of it is structured, like having, if you're a coach, a a, a basketball coach with the family, when do you take vacation? One of the coaches was talking about how he's divorced because his schedule, he has to be always on the go and always in tune. And the way things are with name, image, and likeness now, he needs to be more in tune because he doesn't want any of his kids leaving from underneath him kind of thing. So their concerns are more than ever now, the way in in, in the landscape of college basketball, when there are, yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, say, we've actually got a group right now in division one. It's called our NABC division one Congress. It's one rep from every one of the, what is it? 33 or 32 division one conferences now. So there's one head coach from each of a school in each of those leagues on this committee, excuse me. And they're the ones that are really like spearheading this, holistic review of the calendar for us. Okay. And yeah, the two biggest things we hear are the work-life balance piece of it. It's just gotten, there's no time to, like you said, spend time with your kids or your spouse or whatever. And then the other big thing is the, the transfer environment where they said we spend a significant amount of time now just trying to recruit our own kids to stay mm-hmm. on campus. So they have to figure that piece out of it before they even think, start to think about high school recruits that they want to get into their program. So yeah. that that's what they're, that's what they're trying to do is figure out what should the calendar look like to account for now the work they have to do either trying to get their own potential transfers on their team now to stay or to evaluate and recruit players who may have entered the portal elsewhere in, in, in the sport. So yeah, it, it's a, 
it's definitely a whole new world for coaches. And yeah, we're just, we're, we're trying to support them in a way that, that makes their experience, makes their ability to serve and impact their players a little bit more feasible, but also it's still in the best interest and the good of the, the health of the overall sport. Yeah. And that was the one thing I was thinking about as a, I've always, college basketball is my favorite sport before I got to the Valley, working at the Valley and after the Valley, my perspective has changed. Once you're on the other side of the curtain, obviously you see the yeah. ins and outs, you see how the juice is made, you, you change. And I've sat in a room with basketball coaches in a coaches meeting in league office before. And, and you don't really think about their personal lives. They, I think the average fan thinks about wins and losses and that's it. But these guys have a family. These guys have lives. They have children. They would love to hang out with them and see them grow up. It just so happens that the way they've chosen to earn a living is a little yeah. bit more challenging and has a whole many more variables than the way you and I are earning a living. Uh, yeah. Not to say that there aren't variables in it, but for them, it's a whole lot more. What does the NABC, I don't say do, but suggest when you talk about things like the recruiting calendar, and I'm sure there are several other things that, that pop up over time, but do you guys, and maybe it comes down to your, your executive director, is there direct sort of contact with the NCAA or and with the different levels like NAIA? Long story short, how much pull do you think you guys have with the different organizations like the NCAA and NAIA in terms of trying to better the game, not just for coaches, but overall, just better yeah. the game? Yeah. So that's someone that the NABC even dating back to our prior leadership and now certainly with Craig and with our Craig's number two, who Nate Pomaday, he worked at the American athletic conference and other conference office guy that, that they've really prioritized building strong relationships with, with not just NCA staff, but the, one of the biggest misconceptions out there is that NCA staff in Indianapolis are the ones that make all the rules. Actually, it's the athletic directors and commissioners and compliance people and presidents that, that sit on all those committees. They're really the ones that make the impact, but yeah, we've really, we have a very good relationship with the NCA leaders, both like on the basketball side and on the legislative side that that help drive some of those policy changes. In terms of how much pull we have, that's an interesting question. And that's someone that, that Craig, back to his like seat at the table piece, has has tried to increase a little bit. I think it depends sometimes on the situation. So like with the recruiting calendar, actually just a, a couple of weeks ago, part of what our Congress proposed initially was an expansion to a dead period in August, basically a period where coaches can't really do any kind of recruiting activity. That, that went through the different legislative process at the NCA pretty smoothly and was what they call it non-controversial and got put into practice fairly quickly. There's other things that, that we've pushed for, um, that coaches have pushed for that ultimately gets shot down or that athletic directors or commissioners don't necessarily agree with. So I think it's always, it, it just issue to issue depending on how much or how little coaches voices carry. But we have, yeah, we have a really good working relationship with key NCA staff that impact basketball. Some of, some of their staff at times will like Dan Gavitt, who's the NCA's vice president of basketball. He sits on our board of directors and they have NCA has people sometimes that will support 
are various committees and help that they'll say, hey, if you approach it with this rationale, it may have a better chance of mm. getting support or yeah. hey, I would avoid making that point and make this point instead. So they I think they they see the value of coaches to the enterprise and, and help us try to get as much face time and as much of our feedback to the to the individuals in power as we can. And then Craig and Nate have also really tried to prioritize, like I said, building relationships like with conference commissioners and athletic directors that they try to get to all the conference media days, preseason, try to get to a lot of conference tournaments. Again, there's not like directly, you're not going to tangibly say, hey, can you pass this or can you pass that? But I think just building those relationships and showing to them that our association is a is an asset and an organization that they should listen to has really been a priority for our leadership. So as the communications guy for the organization, you you probably have your ear to the ground on everything, if not everything that's coming and going. Uh, I'm curious because the one I hate to call it hot button because nothing's been done with it yet. And who knows if something will be done with it. But I know it's been discussion and everyone is a buzz about it. And that's the expansion or potential expansion of the NCAA tournament. What's the NABC hearing? The coaches giving strong feedback one way or the other. You don't have to answer that, obviously. I know that'll play out the way it needs to play out. But just curious if if the tea leaves are waving one or the other, because as fans, I feel like what I see on Twitter or what's left of Twitter, that most folks feel don't ruin a good thing. And a lot of the writers that I read, the the Norlanders of the world, don't mess up with the good thing. Me, as a fan, I will admit, and this may not be a popular sentiment, but... I would love to see a modest, I'm saying that three times, a modest, maybe four times, expansion of it. And I say that because with the caveat that would this potentially allow the opportunity for more mids, non-BCS conference teams to get in? I know that's in the eye of the beholder and whatever the selection committee ends up doing, because who says the number three team from Missouri Valley gets in versus the number eight, nine, ten team from name your conference from the Power Five. But curious, what's been any discussion from the organization standpoint in terms of the NCAA tournament potentially expanding? To be honest, we've not really had formal discussions about it with any of our committees that look at, at issues like that. We've heard updates from the NCA just that it's been initially discussed by the Division Women's Basketball Committee that has oversight of the championship. I would anticipate that there will at some point come a time where they'll start wanting to get more feedback from constituents okay. in the sport and that one's getting a little formal and, then, and maybe and then, yeah, and then probably at that time we'll have either existing committees or who knows maybe even a new committee that that will formally be the ones that put for the NABC's feedback I think anecdotally we've heard from some coaches that say don't mess with it we've heard from some coaches that that want it to expand drastically but again I, I nowhere to the point like the NABC certainly hasn't taken like an official stance on it. I'm not sure if, if we would even do that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, we really haven't really had any kind of like formal feedback proposal discussions like we have on some other issues. But like I said, I, I would imagine that if it continues to be a topic of discussion with the NCA that they'll eventually come a time where they formally seek feedback from the coaches. Spoken like a true <laughs> PR professional. I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and uh, you, you right. noticed that I avoided giving my personal, <laughs> my personal opinion. 
and I was going to ask you, but I'm not putting you on the spot. (laughs) There's one other thing I wrote down that I wanted to ask, and this is of you, uh, of your responsibilities with the the NABC. I know in in the conference athletics where we work a we work a ton or worked past tense a ton to promote our institutions, promote sports, championships, ticket sales, Mm -hmm. all those things. For you, I'm curious about two things. A what is it that ultimately outside of the the governance piece, those types of things, outside of those, what is it that the NABC really wants to push out? What's the messaging? And also the social media, does digital media play a role in your day to day? Because this type of organization, it's unique. It's not like you're going to have a ton of fans flocking to your social media to read about these things. You're going to get the hardcores like me that want to know what I know that Coach A from this conference is pretty outspoken and he's on this committee. Well, he'll have something to say and I know where to go to look just from my past experience. The average fan may not have any clue, but I'm curious of for for you what your day to day is in terms of messaging, what it is. Do you deal with any crisis communication? Is that a thing? And then the role also that digital media, social media plays for you. Yeah. So I'll try to remember all those questions as we go through this. But I think my role now in, in leading our communications, uh, it's a little bit different from the conference office campus world that I'd been in previously in that we we have, so I I separate our audiences. We have internal communications. So member focused communications, communicating messaging directly to the 5,000 plus members in our association. Then we have external communications, which is, I'll just give you some examples of how we we differentiate those two. So we we have a, a branding platform that we call guardians of the game. Right. Just basically that that coaches are they support the game. They support athletes. They're the guardians of this great game that we all love. And we try to with our content, with our messaging, with our website, with our social to more of the external world. We try to position. We try to promote the positive influence that coaches have on the game, on the court and off the court. We try we promote their accomplishments. We have a robust awards platform like a conference office does where we celebrate achievements and we celebrate people for their character and and commitment to diversity and inclusion and things like that. So I think that's more of our externally focused. Like we just try to, we try to celebrate coaches. We try to promote the good things they do and just position them as a good position them as guardians of the game of basketball so that that's one side of the that's a little bit more comparable to the conference office mm-hmm. campus world right where you're promoting accomplishments and awards and results and things like that the internal communication side is a little bit more of the there's the obvious like trade association communication that has to happen about registering for events and renewing memberships and hey we've added x as a member benefit that you can take advantage of but we that's where we try to do a lot of this issues based stuff we've tried to be since craig took over we've tried to be much more transparent with our membership about what we're doing on their behalf i think we heard feedback in the past that a lot of people didn't really know what the nabc was doing for them, for coaches, didn't know what policies or positions they were taking. And so we've tried to be, Craig has done a lot of media that we 
that we'll prep for on messaging like this. We try to do a lot of, we'll do videos or they'll give like a state of the association address at our convention every year where we, where we, again, just try to inform and educate and be transparent with all of our membership of, Hey, X, Y, and Z are the issues that through the work of your fellow coaches, we're now trying to advocate for on a national level. So that's been, I think the, the, I would say the more challenging and probably the more like enjoyable piece of the job is communicating in that way. That's to a more like specified internal audience. That's not necessarily just like for the masses. I also do, you mentioned crisis communications. And so Craig, if you know anything about his background, he was a division one coach, but he's also, he's also has close affiliations to the political world. And so (laughs) he's somebody that, that anytime he speaks, anytime he writes and anything he preps for, he wants talking points for, he wants scripts for. And so that, that was, that's really been a huge part of my job in the last several years is equipping him with, with messaging points and scripts and talking points, whether it's he's doing a, an ESPN sports center hit or whether he's meeting with a conference office and trying to advance some of the priorities that we have. He always wants to be really buttoned up on messaging and he's relied a lot on me to, to do that for him. And, and that's really been a, I think that's the side of like PR that you don't always have in college athletics, right? Probably because a lot of leaders aren't necessarily asking there communication staff for that. So that's been a really like enjoyable process for me. Challenging at times. I feel like I've had to learn as I go, but that whole like executive messaging, strategic Mm -hmm. messaging side of, of what we do. So there's sometimes I'll have some of my colleagues in in a good natured way would say, man, does it annoy you that he wants you to script out everything for him? And I say, no, he should be doing that. That's what PR people want out of their bosses. Right. So they stay on message and stay on brands. I enjoy that part of the job because, like I said, it's a little bit different than anything else I'd ever done. In college That's sports. very much similar to the school yeah. PR world where you're writing for a superintendent that he knows what he wants to say. He just wants to have the correct words on how he wants to say it. And that's where yeah. you come in. Yeah. Yep. Now, I've definitely been in that, been down that road. So that's super interesting to hear. That's super interesting yeah. to hear. I yeah. hope this has been educational for some of my listeners. This man, we've been, we went for 30 minutes. I could go for another 30 minutes, but we'll have to save it for a part two or something. I don't want to keep it too long. This has been awesome. Uh, maybe we can catch up again before hoop season starts and yeah. before Absolutely. you guys get going with the Hall of Fame in, in Kansas City. That one of my favorite events, because to me, that's when I really know the season's here. Yeah. because that's always a quality event in, in KC. Um, usually some good teams that make an appearance. You guys have that set up for this season for 2023? We do, yeah. yeah. We actually just today announced, announced the bracket for it. So we've got Creighton, Loyola Chicago, but your old okay. friend Loyola Chicago, and then Boston College, Colorado State, and the other game. And we're actually – so in the past – that event has been part of, if you've ever been to Kansas City, there's the, the National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame and College Basketball Experience that's located adjacent to the, the big arena, the T-Mobile Center downtown. Um, Which is an awesome place. I'd encourage all my yeah. listeners, if, if you go to KC, just check it out, especially if you're a sports fan. Yep. So so one thing, so people, and I, I won't take this too long, but uh, the NABC has a foundation arm um, that has a separate staff and and a separate organization structure, but they operate the the Hall of Fame and the CBE there. So we used to have our National Collegiate Basketball Hall of Fame induction ceremony there on Sunday night. 
then the Hall of Fame Classic tournament games would be Monday, Tuesday. That induction ceremony is actually moved to Chicago this year, just trying something new to okay. branch out the brand a little bit. And because of that, and then some TV situations, which conference office got all about how they <laughs> these things. The Hall of Fame Classic games are actually going to be on the day before Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving Day this year. Okay. So, uh, so a bit later, but hey, yeah, that makes yeah. Turkey Day all that better. Yeah. Yeah. We were just on a planning call and thought, how can we smuggle a smoked turkey into our staff office go. room for between games or something? So yeah, we that event's coming up and always a, a fun thing to work on. That's a in the kind of other duties as assigned. I'm the media coordinator for that event. So that's a get a scratch that itch of the conference office days of working on events. So yeah, really looking forward to that event. Glad you mentioned that, Derek. Awesome. No, like I said, one of my favorites. So it's my first time going 2013, the Missouri Valley Conference hosted the NCAA tournament in Kansas City. In 2012, we went to the Hall of Fame Classic to do a site visit. So we wanted to see the facility in action for a basketball game and got the walkthrough with some members of the NCAA. So that was my first time actually in what was then the Sprint Center for a basketball game prior to us hosting in, in 2013, the spring of 2013. And now it's, I'm like, oh, this is a cool couple yeah. basketball games taken and at yeah. the beginning of the season. And now it's, it's just one of those things you mark in your calendar, you'll get quality basketball from the start of the season, typically televised. And and I always good to get the season start off, but hey, this year we'll do it around Thanksgiving, and it'll be a good way to set off the holidays. Yeah, yeah. If you get tired of NFL football on Thanksgiving Day, head over to CBS the- Network. We'll be on that. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I know I will. I'm the basketball guy here, so I'll definitely be looking, especially the Loyola Creighton game. So the Jesuit jam, as they call it in Chicago, yeah. they'll get that going in, 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 in KC there. So I'll have to remember going. that one for our marketing for the event. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. No yeah. charge for you. Yeah. <laughs> Eric, thanks so much, man. I really appreciate it. Like I said, we will definitely have to do this again just to keep up and, and catch up and just find out what's going on and see if that tournament discussion, that tournament expansion discussion is, has continued uh, on. So I really appreciate it taking time. Tell the folks, if you can, just how they can keep up with yourself on social media and the NABC. Yeah, sure. I guess first off, Derek, thanks again for having me on. Thanks for, like I said, I've learned a lot and frankly stolen some ideas from you over the years. Appreciate your your leadership in the space and enjoy doing this. And yeah, you can follow the NABC.com. We're at NABC1927. That's the, the year the NABC was founded. As a side note, the, a Baptist church in South Carolina Carolina owns the at NABC social handles. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. I didn't have access to that. I've always wondered how much of a donation it would take to their church for yeah. us. To, Are they actually uh, using it? Are I, they active? Not, not real actively, not real actively. <laughs> yeah. At, at NABC 1927 on, on, I guess we call it X now, right? Yeah. At, uh, Facebook and Instagram. Today, that's what we're calling it on, on, yeah. on June 26th. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that's how you follow us. I, I'll admit I'm, I'm not as active on Twitter as I used to be, but I'm at E. Weberg on Twitter if if you want to follow my very periodic posts. I'll get a little bit more <laughs> in the basketball season. Also a lot of Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes. So there you uh, go. Nobody there you go. Twitter feed, right? But yeah, Derek, thanks <laughs> a lot. This has been a lot of fun. Thanks for listening to this episode of Persons of Interest. This podcast is a personal project with the goal of sharing stories that might inspire others to create their own path. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. If you have a guest suggestion, you can reach Derek on Twitter at ddocket. This has been Persons of Interest.